conversation with Dick Cavett. This is TFG Unbuttoned. It's the Focus Group Unbuttoned with Tim Bennett and John Nash. An off-the-cuff take on politics, pop culture, and current events. Welcome to TFG Unbuttoned. John Nash here with my good friend and co-host Tim Bennett. I should say usually here with uh, Tim, but this is the week of Columbus Day. Uh, we hope you all had a good holiday, and we are taking a couple days hiatus, and we'll be returning next week with all our regular programming. But uh, this week, we wanted to share an interview from the way back. Well, not so-so way back, but it goes back to the days when Tim and I were in Sirius Satellite Radio, and we got to interview Dick Cavett, childhood you know, like a hero of ours in the talk show realm. And I guess the lesson of this whole thing, if there is one, is you can get what you ask for. So I had always wanted to talk to Dick Cavett. And one day our producer, um, Katie, said, hey, why don't you just call, you know, find out if he's available for a uh, interview. And he had just published a book about his, uh, all the, it was collected essays from his uh, New York Times column that he used to do on a weekly basis. And so we reached out and he agreed to do it. We're like, oh my God, now we get to interview Dick Cavett. Um, so without further ado, and I also want to just add a quick mention that our show is brought to you each week by Critics' Choice Video, America's classic movie and TV authority since 1987. You can visit their site by going to rsfocusgroupradio.com. And of course, everything's there, including the Focus Group, our Wednesday broadcast. So without further ado, uh, our interview with Dick Cavett. Enjoy. Joining us as promised by phone is uh, Dick Cavett. And uh, I had a great quote, John. Lined up. That was was lined up. That slates. Because how how do you describe, you know, Dick Cavett? So he said... Cavett is a true sophisticate with a daunting intellectual range. Cavett was the most distinguished talk show host in America if sophistication and intellectual breadth were what you were looking for. So this was... <laughs> well, <laughs> that's, that's well with, with that, with that, uh, with that wonderful introduction, uh, Dick Cavett, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you here. Well, you too. I mean, it's a pleasure to be had. Uh, <laughs> hey, I always wanted to hear somebody say that. No, <laughs> I need to get uh, two things out of the way right away. First, okay. I have been a fan since my mother used to sit me down and say, you need to watch this guy. He's an intellectual giant. You were 32 at the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I yeah, there, there, there you go. And uh, then she gave me advice in a handwritten letter because she does not do email. And she said, make sure your hair is combed, your teeth are brushed, and you don't say anything stupid because he's going to call you out on it. <laughs> well, then we better shut oh, your... This sounds like a very astute woman. <laughs> she was a teacher. We better shut your mic off then. Jim. Oh, all my parents were teachers. It's just... Um... It puts a burden on you because the other kids say, oh, you got good grades because your parents are teachers. <laughs> as, as if your parents gave you the grades, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> so, so, Dick, I have something. Uh, uh, when I looked at your your body of work, and by the way, I just finished a talk show. It's one of those rare books that makes me laugh out loud on the subway. And I did read most of those in the Opinionator uh, on the New York Times. It's just a fun, fun refresher of some of the most wonderful stuff, particularly they, they the second reading. They do, do you? Do oh, they, they do. Third and fourth, especially the ghost yep. story one. Um, and also, I love the story of, the, of Basil Rathbone and that creepy story he tells you about his friend isn't that, that gets. Isn't yeah. that a chiller? You know, that's. Um, not only fun to read, but you will find, I urge you to do it, great fun to tell. You will sober um, a room full of giddy people with that story and raise goose flesh. Um, 
we don't want to spoil it for people by telling. No, no, that. but but but, and I, I I love the way you end the story where you ran into Basil Rathbone in Central Park getting a citation for a dog variance. <laughs> I think the dog was pooping somewhere, and you brought it up with him again, and he then said, "Hey, you know, yeah, it still gives me the chills." It disturbs me even now. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. here's the thing: in looking at your in in incredible career, the people you've written for, the 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 jobs you've had, the the wonderful talk shows you've hosted on TV. Let's say it all goes away tomorrow and someone says to you, you know, Dick, you gotta you gotta go sit down and put a resume together. Could you imagine the horror? But what would what would you think the resume you know how they have resumes like my goal is and here's uh-huh. my first job? What are some of the things you think your resume might actually have? Wow. Well and some of it would have to draw up on my acting career. Uh, not my biggest part of my career, but I was um in a Signal Corps movie about how to repair radar machines. <laughs> that was my actually my literally first job in New York, and I got fifty dollars a day for two days. And so show business is easy. I'm new in New York, and I've already got a job in a movie. <laughs> it would take uh, Stanley and Livingston to find this anywhere, I'm sure. But um, I'd love to find it. And I did summer theater. Well, most, uh, when I act, resume brings to mind the actor's resume, which of course is just a list of your credits. Right. Um, I had a silly line that stopped everybody at the bottom of mine, which was, "Speaks German and French easily." <laughs> uh, and everybody, what the hell does that mean? You, know, you, mean, you mean you say it without coughing or choking or what? <laughs> It never got me. Oh, it did get me one job in another Signal Corps movie in which I played a wounded German soldier. <laughs> and in the book Cavett, you can see a wonderful still of me as this wounded German. I didn't quite. I slid way off your question here, I think. But, uh, oh, I, I will tell you one thing that would be in any resume I concocted. And I always wish that they could, in introducing me, leave out, if they want to, three time Emmy winner and substitute state champion gold medalist pommel horse <laughs> for the for the rear, for the yeah. rear dismount right uh, yeah with a triple rear dismount hey right. you've done your homework hey listen <laughs> hey dick i have i have a, a i i used to watch before we even knew you were coming on i used to spend a lot of time on youtube and and watching some of your old interviews and we just conversations they were conversations conversations, yeah. oh, conversations yeah. so la- last week we had celebrated lucy's 100th um birthday yeah and there was a there you had her on the show and i to this day watch that that um that bit with her i'll say interview with her because she it was so uncomfortable for me to watch that because she seemed really kind of bothered and nonplussed to be there very matter of fact and you kept trying to engage her. She wouldn't even have any eye contact. And I just wondered, what was there anything going on but there? But he did break okay. through. That does it, because <laughs> I have heard similar comments now really? at least five times. Believe me, I have never seen that show, even now. Um, the night it was on, I had to go somewhere, and I was sorry I didn't get to see it. And... Uh, I, I haven't. Now I will see what it is. It's the strangest thing about Lucy. She absolutely adored me. Really? She she told William Paley, "Why don't you put Cavett on late night instead of Merv Griffin?" Nothing, <laughs> nothing against my former boss, Merv, in my life. Um, but people have said, "You know, I I watched that thing on your 
DVD. That's where they would see it. Right. And uh, I didn't like her very much. And I, it's startling in a way. Well, partly it's a tribute to her art in a way because she is absolutely not Lucy of the television show. Well, that's she what was they a said. Serious businesswoman, a bit of a hard-bitten showgirl who had been through tough times. Uh, made a lot of movies that didn't lead her to real stardom. A lot of movies. You see them on Turner with, with uh, Robert Osborne, who I hope will be back soon. And uh, it's just um, strange. I'll tell you another thing about that show. Johnny, one night, said to me during a break, he always had me on right after a Cabot show was canceled, so I made quite a few <laughs> Johnny appearances. And as a fellow in Nebraska, he'd have me on Monday and... Uh, uh, it's going to be Armed Forces Radio for Richard if this next thing doesn't go. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, and during a break, he said, Richard, do you ever forget who you had on? And I said, oh, yeah, there's so many. He said, no, no, I mean that night. <laughs> he said, uh, and he was worried. He had a drink problem at that time. I'd worked for Johnny Longtime, and he, the miracle of which he pulled himself together for the show each night was something to see. Anyway, so... Uh, he said, I mean, that night, I went home last night, and the doorman said, who'd you have on, Mr. Carson? And I said, well, we had the usual four. We had, um, um Jesus. Um, <laughs> and he said, it was 20 minutes before I could come up with J.P. Morgan. <laughs> and I loved Johnny. I really, we were great friends. And I, I said uh, to myself, I hope I can make him feel better. And I said, oh, God, I came home one night. Johnny, get this. I came home one night, and... Uh, Somebody said, how'd it go? It was one of my one-person shows. And I said, fine. And uh, I said, who was it? And I said, oh, ah, um, God, is that right there? Um, <laughs> uh, and it was 20 minutes before I could come up with the obscure name, Lucille Ball. Oh, my God. Now, maybe from what you've said, there's some reason. Well, you know, I, I, have, I have a different take than Tim does watch, on this. Watch I've watched time? the clip a couple times, and now that Dick has said that she, that Lucille Ball was a huge fan of, of, of yours, yep. I'm now taking a different thought process, and maybe she was so comfortable with him, and she knew that there could be a wonderful intellectual back and forth. Maybe. She, in this particular clip, she's wearing this feather boa thing that yeah. she keeps adjusting. Yeah. And you keep coming in with different thoughts and questions, and the one that nailed her and got her to reminisce and really start talking was, was her childhood days and where she grew up. Uh, Jamestown, she was, Jamestown and Anaconda, Montana. Yep. I, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm wondering if yeah. because she knew you so well, she was almost playing a game. Uh, I like, don't know. I, another thing, she's the only guest I ever had on, ever, who sent an audio tape ahead of time talking to me about 20 or 30 <laughs> things that we might talk about on the show. Well, that's hilarious. She sent I've you a cassette tape with all the stuff that you could discuss? <laughs> well, was she, was she not only that, but she... Well, there's another thing. Now that this has become the Lucy show... Uh, <laughs> yeah, we should add you on last week. Uh, well, I used to ask airline stewardesses just for fun to list the worst schmucks in show business they'd had as on planes. And the answer was always Lucille Ball. Are you kidding me? No. And they would, I, I'm sorry, Lucy, if you're <laughs> looking at us. But uh, so you could put it in a sealed envelope and say, I want to do a mental trick. Never failed. And I said, what did she do? And it's like, well, she'd be with a companion. And you'd say, leaning over toward her at the window seat, 
do you like a cocktail, Miss Ball? And she'd say, tell her I don't drink on the plane. <laughs> so Lucy was wow. a tough lady. Once on an Arthur Godfrey talk show that he had one summer, sit around chat, he made the mistake of saying to her after the divorce, well, we, what about Daisy? We don't hear a lot about Daisy anymore. And Lucy, with her fist in her mink coat pocket, said, what's with the daisy bit? <laughs> and it was chilling. Well, uh, God, I guess we opened up a can of worms. Well, I, I, I guess we did, but I think we should talk about my knowledge of finance and business. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we do that, and this may lead perfectly into a conversation about the, the illusionary debt ceiling, in the beginning of the book, one of the lines that you uh, wrote, fa many things you write fascinate me to begin with, as I said at the top of the interview, but one of the things was most intriguing about getting a talk show in general. You said this had never, ever been your ambition, and yet, no. and yet you, are, you, you ended up being uh, and are such a natural conversationalist. It's almost the perfect career, and yet it sounds as almost you think of it as an accidental thing. Like you well, almost... it sort of was. There was the accident of my hitting Jack Parr at the right time in the NBC corridor and affrontively handing him my microphone, my uh, uh, monologue. I knew it's something that started with him, <laughs> and uh, and everything, including our sitting here now, stems from that instant. Uh, but I was a writer on the shows, and my great dream and ambition was to be a guest maybe just once, someday, <laughs> on a talk show. Never dreaming of uh, hosting one and finding yourself sitting there that first day in charge of 90 minutes of network, frozen with fear, talking to a guest, seeing someone signal you, but you didn't see what they signaled. Somebody else held up a sign and took it away before you could read it. You lose track of the conversation. You look over, the guest's lips have stopped moving, <laughs> and you have no idea. 90 minutes is a lot of time to fill. Or what they were saying. And uh, it could be, I found some like that where I just wasn't listening, and the guest would say something like, oh, I don't know, uh, so we opened the old rusty trunk, and you'll never guess what was inside. And I said, Do you have any hobbies? <laughs> <laughs> we know a recent. I hadn't heard them. A, a recent column that one of your recent columns about, I'm thinking it was maybe six or seven weeks ago. You were talking about the very first show on ABC and how that was not the first one that they aired uh, because of some controversial conversation. One of the things I think people love about you, and I know that one of the things I love about you is you're not afraid to have an opinion. You're not afraid to put it in front of people. And, and you back it up, and you're cordial, and you're polite about it, but you have a point of view. Oh, well, how can you not? You know, well, it, it seems it. like in American politics right now, and when you and it's almost like shooting fish in a barrel when you look down to Washington for laughs and gaffes, because, yeah. you know, they don't have an opinion, and if they do, they backtrack right away. And uh, this just strikes me as odd. I think that... It's good to have a, you know, a stake in the ground. This is where I stand. And you were never confrontational about it, but you were always very respectful, but you did have a point of view. I guess I might have been confrontational to my own surprise on my third show, I think it was, in the daytime show, uh, when Timothy Leary... Do you need a footnote for who Timothy no, Leary is? No, we're, we don't need to Google him. We're not too young. <laughs> high priest of acid and so on, and drop out, and so on. tune in, drop out. Um, held up his new book, 
which he said was the new Bible, the Old Testament figures were just a lot of old kooks on a bad trip. <laughs> and I'm not particularly religious, but I did say, you know, I really think you're full of crap. <laughs> and I got a letter from a woman who dropped her iron on her foot laughing <laughs> Uh, the show was very little known, but it, it, that and when an old bore uh, lawyer, whose name I'll think of in a minute, came on and vastly defended the Vietnam War. And I said, didn't your darling Lyndon Johnson call this a war for Asian boys? Uh, Louis Neiser, that's who he was. That was he wrote a, that popular was a lawyer. books about law and stuff. Nice guy in some ways. But... Uh, the network nearly shat every time that happened. And, uh, well, as you know from Nobody Wants to Know What, Gorby Dahl and Muhammad Ali think of the Vietnam War. And <laughs> the irony being that they pulled that show, we had a week ready to delay it before we started, and put another one in. It was reviewed as sort of dull. The first one that they pulled was reviewed as Cabot finally hits his stride. <laughs> <laughs> And it was all backwards. But, yes, times that you just... I never decided to have an opinion on the air. It just seemed to pop out sometimes, and not always fortunately. Would you, you think know, a lot a of funny it... funny way in which I feel that I might be here on your show and under kind of false pretenses, because you really, considering what you talk about, mainly and interestingly, uh, you should have my wife on. Well, is she there? Well, she actually, she is, I can hear her upstairs. <laughs> uh, yeah. She's a go-go dancer in the East Village, but she knows a great deal about finance and business. I mean, really. No, she, uh, part of what I just said is true. The former part isn't. You might know of her. Her, her name is Martha Rogers, and she's written eight best-selling books on business and the business world. And her new one, and how's this for refreshing? I'm not plugging my own book. <laughs> it's called Rules to Break and Laws to Follow. We would I, love to have her on. Yeah, I think Peppers she'd be fantastic. And, Rogers, and you really should have her on. Who do we uh, have to talk to? Do we just contact you? Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I let her out every so often. We'll have Shaq get your number at the end of the interview. And we'll, no, we would love to have her on because right. we, do, we do a lot of business. But we, um, the, you know, to have somebody like you on with John and I, as we said, is just uh, really amazing because we've grown, up, you, you know, we've grown up with you and really do admire the intellect and kind of the honesty that you... Uh, well, you go to my heart when you like Groucho because my writer, my readers in the Times blogs are always saying, tell more Groucho. And uh, I remembered one the other day. I got to go places with him. I couldn't believe it in my life. But, uh, probably my most cherished friendship. Oh, in fact, I'll cry now. His daughter sent me a letter about a year ago thanking me for something I'd written for her, a book, her dad's letters to her in college, an intro. And uh, my eye dropped down, as yours will, when a line down in the letter is about you. My father thought the world of you. Wow. Yeah, see? Oh, it just got to me now. Wow. Well, that, hey, listen. If you listen, make an impact like that. Listen, leaving a dinner party one night with a snooty hostess in California. Leaving so soon, Mr. Marks? And he said, I've had a wonderful evening, but this wasn't it. <laughs> <laughs> see, I... I... Just love that. Now, Dick, we're down to about three or four minutes left, and you told us to warn you about that. Oh, it was to say, have my wife on. Oh! <laughs>
No, no, wasn't that nice that I didn't even mention my book, Talk Show, $25 Times Books at any bookstore, but I mentioned rules to break and laws to follow. How your business can beat the crisis of short-termism. Boy, wow. that's a... I, all right, she's going to... She is going to be a guest. I also recommend that if people buy buy your new book, they, they you might consider the electronic version because you could highlight it, and then you could go back to your favorite Dick Cavett things that I've been doing myself. Not only that, it's got also embedded video of some of the best, um, yeah, greatest it, interviews. It, by the way, I, I always forget this. I went in and spent three dismal days making the audio version, but it is apparently wonderfully entertaining if you can believe any of the people I know. <laughs> the, the thing I love about it is, I, I mean, I like to act and I like performing, but you know, it's sitting in front of a mic for nine hours a day. is. But um, I do everybody's voice. And I, didn't, not aware, I just do voices naturally. And when I read my line from the play Catherine Hepburn had forgotten I had been in with her years ago and I had only one and, and said it, Gentlemen, my master Antonio is at his house and desires to speak with you both, Merchant, <laughs> merchant of Venice. And she said, hmm, is that the way you said it? <laughs> I just, Huge laugh. <laughs> I just reread the story about the guest that died on the show, and, and I could imagine you doing the audio book of that chapter, because you go in, in, the, in your writing, you go into this, like, make-believe conversation of, no, it never aired. Yes, it did. I'm sure I saw. Well, maybe I talked about it very well. And then I think she had you up to her apartment to talk about. Yeah, she. it actually was a townhouse on East 49th. And she all your other facts have been faultless. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and she plops down, and she and the first thing she says is, tell me about the guy that died I want to know show. all about the man who died on the show. And um, uh, it, it was, well, her dad was a doctor, and she loved medicine, and she treated people. She was with She was always... Giving pills to Peter O'Toole. <laughs> um, well, Dick, do you have time for a quick Jack Benny story? Sure, sure. I loved him, uh, and being a writer on the Tonight Show, I got to hang out with all my heroes. There they were. I went to the tapings. The other writers went home. They were older, <laughs> and uh, there was Red Skelton, and there was Jack Benny, and there was Groucho and Bob Hope, and George Burns. And this day I hung out with Benny, Jack. We got in the elevator after the show, and some tourists who were supposed to get into another elevator got in with Jack and me. Seven floors. You have to be a certain age to get these references, but they're all to his past radio personality. Jack, are you really cheap? <laughs> uh, Mr. Benny, do you really play the violin? Uh, and uh, uh, do you not pay Rochester, your servant? And are you really married to Mary Living? Do you still drive a Maxwell? I swear they got ten of them in. Oh, my God. And, and he's a nice man, and he would nod. And they got out, and he smiled at them, and he and I got out. And he, I said, Mr. Benny, does that get kind of old? And he said, put his arm on my shoulder, and he said, you know, kid, sometimes... You, you just want to tell them to go fuck themselves. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that... I can't think of a better way to end a, an know, incredible I, interview. Hey, well, listen. I was stunned, you know, the voice that had come out of my radio as a kid. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, listen. Uh, we, uh, this has been a real treat for John and I to have you on, and we appreciate you spending part of your part of your day with us. And we want to thank you for joining us. And and your wife's going to be on. 
You wow. must be Tim then, if you're talking about John. Yeah, I'm Tim. <laughs> <laughs> see, I, see what I kind of you're, you're education very, see, I got at Yale. The, you're a professional. You, did you like <laughs> Yale, by the way? I loved it. Okay. In a word or two, I knew it was the best four years of my life while it was happening, and it was. Yes, it was. Because schools, college Absolutely. is a great thing. Absolutely. So, yep. so listen. Thanks again. Thank you so much, Dick. It was an and, absolute. And we're going to get pleasure. a hold. Of, we're going to get a hold of Martha. Martha Rogers. Never Martha Rogers. Yes. Cool. I'll see you guys. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you for joining us today on this flashback that we had to a Dick Cavett interview we conducted over on our old platform, Sirius Satellite Radio, back in the day. An amazing guest, and I really, truly enjoyed talking to him because, as I said at the top of this uh, Memory Lane broadcast, he was always a favorite of mine growing up. This Wednesday, we have a flashback to an incredible visit we had in studio with uh, Tim Gunn. He also, at that time, took over Tim's list at the end of the show, which was really quite hilarious, so I hope you can tune in to enjoy that. Uh, the video for that drops on Wednesday, and of course, the audio is available on Saturday, and that's Focus Group Radio. And again, everything's available at focusgroupradio.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you in the new week. It's the Focus Group Unbuttoned with Tim Bennett and John Nash, available every Tuesday. Learn more about Tim and John, Unbuttoned, and all of the Focus Group platforms at focusgroupradio.com. 